And welcome everyone back to the Left Coasters podcast. Again, my name is Tony Cavallo. I'm with Ryan the Ballerina Balzarini. I'm with Matt Dangles, D'Angelo Antonio. We are in a new studio. We are all in the same room. There is no longer a glass wall separating Dangles from the rest Moving of us. Moving up in the world. Upgrade, baby. Now he is perched above us, kind of overlord over here. I'm trying here. not to lord over you guys it too looks much, like it. but it's kind of, this is a, a special studio in the in the uh, larger studio that we, um, or larger building, I should say, that we and out of which we nice. broadcast. Uh, here in beautiful Southern California. It is very nice. We're all in the same room. We're all ready to go. And we are doing the 2017 San Diego, oh, so sorry, the Los Angeles Chargers preview for the Left Coasters podcast. Because, guys, we have a new team in Los Angeles. This is the first year they will be under us, and we will be covering them. And I think the theme for this season now, we're going to introduce ourselves to the Chargers. Next month, we're going to reintroduce ourselves to the Rams. And I think the whole time this season, we're going to be asking ourselves, who do we like more? Are you a Chargers fan or are you a Rams fan? Do you guys have any feelers on either of these teams as we enter 2017? I would ha- I'd have to say that I have a healthy affinity for for the Chargers over the Rams at the moment. Really? And 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 we'll go on as to why that is, but I I'm 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 almost certain that I love the prospects of a Philip Rivers jersey over a Jared Goff jersey. Yeah, that's sexy. That and sexy. and I think I just I, this might be the thing, but I like I like the colors. I kind of yeah. like I like the feel of it, and I just I'm excited about the opportunity that the Chargers have ahead of uh, ahead of them. That the Rams kind of muddied themselves and 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 dragged themselves through at the early onset of last year uh, with the poor rollout of the Coliseum, the 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 poor fan experience. I think with the experience that the Chargers are going to be able to put together at the StubHub Stadium, it, it could potentially just be an amazing experience. Can't wait to go. And the powder blue uniforms are the best oh, uniforms sexy, in dude. football. Sexy. Dangles, what do you feel? I mean, the Chargers are the sexier team to like here, right? They're the new guys in town, and they're already on their website setting this up as the battle for Los Angeles. Yes, I they mean, are. this they're is winning already, the marketing. They game. are already looking to, yes, they are definitely winning the marketing battle. But on the Rams side of things, I'm really excited about Sean McVay as the head coach. He's young, he's going to bring a new perspective. And from what I understand, players just they love the guy. He's really affable. He's he's a player's coach and he gives his guys a voice in the locker room, and I think they're going to appreciate that. It sounds like Jared Goff has been working his ass off this offseason to familiarize himself with to. the playbook, and yes, he absolutely needed to. So, I mean, my gut is like, oh, I'm more excited to see what the Chargers are going to do because they have they also have more fun pieces to watch. You know, Keenan Allen is going to be healthy again, we expect, and he's one of the best wide receivers in the league when he is. Antonio Gates is coming into his, like, 15th uh, season. Bet. He's such a veteran, and he's still putting up big numbers every year and of course Melvin Gordon coming off an incredible sophomore campaign Bosa and yes Joey Bosa we'll get into all this later on yeah we we're gonna be that that's what this episode is gonna be it's gonna be introducing the left coast universe to the Los Angeles Chargers and we're gonna start just like we did last season when our first episode we started with the history of the Rams we're gonna start with the history of the Chargers and take us into present day but first we have a little bit of news that came out uh, recently and the fact that the new stadium that we're all looking forward to in Los Angeles has been pushed back a year due to the unnatural rainfall in Southern California. Bummer, this, dude. It is a huge bummer. bummer. They've already taken away the 2021 Super Bowl. They've given it to Tampa Bay. They've pushed our Super Bowl back to 2022, which is now 
five years away from us having a Los Angeles Super Bowl, which means I need to live in Los Angeles for five more years before I can get to an actual Super Bowl. Just in time for my five-year house party. Where are you planning on going? <laughs> I don't know, but just say it. If I want to move back to New York, if I want to move back to Boston, Chicago, I can't. I need to see a Super Bowl in Los Angeles before I leave. And now they've extended that more. It reminds me, Dangles, you might remember this. When I was growing up, there was something called the Big Dig in Boston. They oh, were planning yes. this. They were planning this monumental big dig under the city of Boston to build all these tunnels and fix the traffic problems and just make Boston an easier city to navigate through. It was this huge, diverse plan. It cost so much money, and it got pushed back one time. It got pushed back another time, and it kept getting pushed back to the point mm-hmm. of it being a national joke of the big dig, and it almost never got finished. It cost them so much money. There were leaks. There were breaks. There were there were strikes. There were all this stuff that ended up snowballing into being a, just a joke of a, of a thing. And does it worry you guys that this early pushback, like we just broke ground. We're not far into the construction development. Does this worry you that this Los Angeles stadium could become a big dig? I don't think that it's going to get to that no. point. I don't think they're going to allow it to uh, get to that point. Consider, too, why why also it, it did get pushed back. It was because of the weather, the rains. So it wasn't something, it wasn't like mismanaged. This is what they're saying. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. No? What do you think? All I'll say is that it would not surprise me if... The project got pushed back because of normal things that happen in construction, like what Tony was just talking about with the big dig. Obviously, that is kind of an outlier of an example because this thing—I'm pretty sure it collapsed and killed someone at, at one point. There was a lot of bad during, stuff. There was that a happened. lot of bad stuff, but because costs went up and because the timeline that they—because they always set an ambitious timeline yeah. for these kind you of you projects, have right? To. You do. You have to. It, it's a way to entice. people. Oh man, this project's going to be done in two years. But then you get to the reality of building it, and you're like, oh my god, there's so much extra shit that goes into this, you know, it's going to take us longer than we originally thought. So I guess what I'm saying is that, yeah, rain may have had something to do with it and the ground may have sunk in. And I'm not a, I'm not an expert in construction or how the foundations, that kind of stuff. I don't know, but it wouldn't shock me if the reality was that it turns out it's just going to take them longer to build it than they originally anticipated. And none of the people who are overseeing it maybe want to come out and say, it's just going to take longer. So they'll say something like the rain, which, which again, may very well have something to do with it. So all I'm saying is it wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> if Jerry World can get built... The Cronky Castle can get the built. The Cronky Castle can get built, especially when you have two teams now waiting, because word is, word is who affects this more is the San Diego... <laughs> San Diego Chargers. It's going to be tough. We're going to kick we're it. Gonna we're going to break this. We're going to break it. It's a but the Los Angeles Chargers are the ones that suffer the most out of that yes. because they're they're now in a stadium for how much longer with 27,000 yeah. people yeah. in it? Their ticket sales are gonna are either going to take a massive hit uh, because of that, or they're going to have to raise prices, and people are yep. going to pay an astronomical fee so that the so that the Los Angeles Chargers can can make up their 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 cost deficit now that they're not going to be in an eighty thousand person stadium. Then again, now that I'm thinking about it, and we will get to this as the show goes on, the experience at that tiny stadium versus what we know at the Coliseum, it could become that the Coliseum ticket sales fall. F- fall a lot faster than the the tiny stadium rock and soccer stadium does. I worked with a gentleman who um, actually s- took his girlfriend to the Coliseum, and the second I brought up the 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 L.A. Rams, 
he could not stop talking about the incredible, awful experience that he had. He got <laughs> it into was terrible. T- he said, I mean, he's a very nice, gentle giant. And he said, I, I got assaulted twice. My girlfriend got yelled at. It was, it, it, it was. Oh, it, you, uh, well, and get this. I mean, I don't know if you guys saw this, but it, it looks as though the University of Southern California is, is trying to sell the naming rights to the L.A. Coliseum. And you will never guess what company is going to pay them more than $70 million or wants to pay them more than $70 million over the next 15 years for the naming rights to the Coliseum. First off, you can't rename the Coliseum. It's the Coliseum. Dangles, tell me. Oh, you want to guess? Brian wanted to guess. In and out. No. Wouldn't that be great? No. It has more to do with the assaulting sort of stuff you just uh, oh, were no. talking Fox about. Oh, no. Fox News. No. United Airlines. Oh. The United Airlines Coliseum. The United Jesus Airlines Christ. Coliseum. So you can have a terrible football experience uh, and then get beaten and dragged, dragged out. Your seat. <laughs> you know, it actually it actually makes sense because those Coliseum seats feel like you're in the middle of a triple-decker airplane. No, this, uh, is, uh, this is an article dated Friday, May 19th, uh, 2017. The Memorial Coliseum might have a new name pretty soon. This is on Sports Illustrated. Sports Jesus. Business Daily reports United Airlines will pay more than you $70 million over the next 15 years for the naming rights to USC's football arenas. United CEO Oscar Munoz is a USC graduate, so that probably Good has him. something to do with it. Well, uh, there you so go. So anyway, uh, I don't know if this has gone through yet, but they are in the process of trying to we sell these a whole naming rights. Uh, apparently, it's trying to help offset the $270 million renovation cost for the stadium uh, that they're in the early stages of doing, which I think we've, you know, probably, we've been a part we, of, we, yeah. We, we, we've witnessed. And they'll so. just finish those renovations when anyway, the Rams move to the new stadium. Sorry to get us off track, That's but okay. I thought that was kind of important. So there you go. That is your stadium news. And uh, now, guys, if you're ready, I'm ready to jump into... Your I'm Los so Angeles Chargers. I'm so ready. So uh, we're not going to say ram it right now. What are we going to say? Dangles, you got anything? Um, do we say like Chargers charge? There you go. Is that it? Chargers charge. <laughs> Chargers charge. All right, guys, and welcome back. Here we go. This is the history of the now Los Angeles Chargers. They began in 1959 as a member of the AFL, and their first season was played in Los Angeles. So, coming back home. I'm coming home, baby. They're back. And their first owner was a man named Baron Hilton of the Hilton Hotels family. No, oh, you don't say. There you go. So, hmm. Baron Hilton started us off in 1959. And in 1961, they moved to San Diego and spent the next 55 years there. Uh, their first GM was a man named Frank Leahy, and he was uh, the one given credit to naming them the Chargers. And their first coach was Sid Gilman, a Hall of Famer. Uh, They won the AFL title in 1963, and I bring that up because that is the last time a franchise ever won a title in San Diego, 1963. And now that the Chargers are gone, the only team that's left is the Padres, so (laughs) I don't know if they're going to win another title anytime soon. Um, In 1966, Eugene Klein and Sam Shulman, two businessmen from the Bronx, New York, purchased the Chargers from the Hiltons for a total of a record transaction of $10 $10 million. So 1966, the Chargers are worth $10 million. In 1967, they move into San Diego Stadium, which is now known as Qualcomm Stadium. They play the next 50 years in the same stadium. I think it's also now known as Empty. <laughs> Dangles. Just here with the comic relief. Uh, in 1970, they move into the AFC West as the NFL merges into the NF- uh, AFL. And in 1973, 40-year-old Johnny Unitas hands the reins over to Dan Fouts. 
Dan Fouts plays for the next 15 years. He retires in 1988, sets seven NFL records at quarterback, and has the second most passing yards of all time when he retires. He is, his number is retired in 1988, the number 14 is retired, but he is not the first number the uh, then San Diego Chargers have retired. That number was number 74, offensive tackle Ron Minks. They retired his number in 1969, the day after he retired. But in 1971, Mr. Ron Minks unretires and comes back with the Oakland Raiders. And Eugene Klein, the owner, rips the number off, unretires the number 74. So there you go. Ron Minks retires, comes back for the rival Oakland Raiders, and now his number's off the board. Number 14, Dan Feltz get retired. The other four numbers the Chargers have retired are number 19 for Lance Allsworth, number 21-4. Oh, LaDainian Tomlinson. And number 55-4. Junior Seau. Good job. Good job. And we flash forward to 1994, speaking of Junior Seau. They are the AFC champions in 1994. This is the only time they make the Super Bowl in their tenure. They're led by the great QB, Stan Humphreys, and a young Junior Seau manning the defense. I remember that year. Do you really? I remember where I was when I watched that game. I was in my, uh, I was at home with my dad watching it, running around in the basement. I remember what the walls looked like. I don't even know if Flashback I knew what football Brian. was then. Good for you. Brian's got a couple of years on us. That's true. Uh, they beat the Steelers 17-13, but they lost to the... San Francisco 49ers and Steve go. Young, Steve man. Young, MVP. They lost to San Fran 49-26. to Not really a close Yikes. Super Bowl no, in that one. Oh, I, I remember, I remember. It, I, was, I believe I was in fifth grade, and they had a jar going around, uh, and you you put a penny in who you thought was going to win, San Diego or San Francisco. They, they had to get two or three jars for the San Francisco. They didn't fill up, a, they didn't fill up half a San Diego one. And even the fifth graders knew it. Okay, all right. Well, sorry, uh, Stan Humphreys, you couldn't do it. Oh, well, you're running into the buzzsaw that is Steve Young and Jerry Rice, I suppose. Oh, they were prolific. So they kind of go on a downturn there uh, after the Super Bowl. They have a bunch of tragedies that befell the team, including drafting the savior of the franchise at number two in 1998, Mr. Ryan Leaf, who was drafted the one pick after Peyton Manning and arguably had— That was really misleading. He he arguably had a a, 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 I was going to keep going with this, saying how he had a career just like Peyton Manning and, you know— Step for step. You couldn't have made a wrong choice there, but Dangles cut it up too early. Either way, Ryan Leaf gets drafted in 1998 and really just butt fucks the franchise for a while. Um, they do have some, they do have some high hopes in uh, uh, late 2000s. But I'm going to read this list off to you guys because it amazed me that in 1994 was the only time they made the Super Bowl, and 1963 was the only time they won a title. But in the 2000s and 2010s, they drafted the likes drafted. The likes of Rodney Harrison, Drew Brees, LaDainian Tomlinson, Darren Sproles, Vincent Jackson, Antonio Gates, Sean Merriman, and the great Phil Rivers, and still never made it out of the AFC. The Drew Brees one kills me, because I can remember as a Detroit Lions fan, and as Drew Brees dropped out of the first round, and everybody was excited and in Detroit that Drew Brees could be the guy, right? And uh, this was the year before, I think year or two before Joey Harrington. So yeah. it, it was it was kind of the deal, like yeah. where where everybody was excited, and the Chargers picked him up. I was dead set on getting a Chargers jersey. That's how much I like Drew. That's how much you love Drew. And and to see how he went out, obviously they made the right decision. But um, yeah, I, I, it's hard to think that he was at one point or another San Diego Chargers. Yeah, he was a Charger. He was uh, drafted by them. They drafted all these pro ballers and still could not make it out. I mean, that's the beauty of the Tom Brady and the Patriots. They've been so good for so long. Um, so now that takes us to present day, and Dangles will take care of the present day roster. But before we get there, I want to take a little time to commemorate 
1984 sale of the team. Eugene Klein and Sam Schulman had it then. They're the businessmen from New York, and they sold it to a man named Alexander Spanos to the tune of $48.3 million. What year again is this? 84. 84. So in 84, $48 million is what the charge is worth. Forbes has uh, the charges in 2015, a year before they decided to move to L.A., just under $1 billion. God. So I have to say that's a pretty good, pretty good markup. Yeah. Um, Alexander Spanos is an interesting cat. He was born in Stockton, California to this. <laughs> he's the son of, I just have to say his name, the son of a, a Greek immigrant, Constantino Spanos, who owned his own bakery in America. Uh, Alexander Spanos in 1942 dropped out of college, joined the Air Force, and was a tail gunner in World War II. Um, this quote right here, it's going to blow your mind, Brian. This is from, uh, this is research, fellas. This is from Chris Cobbs, a writer for the LA Times, and this is from an article in 1985. You ready for this? I'm ready. Um, this is after the war. Spanos borrowed $800 from a Stockton banker, bought a panel truck, and began peddling sandwiches made by his wife, Faye, to migrant farm farm workers in the San Joaquin Valley. It goes on to say... That was in uh, 1947, and by 1951, he had made his first million. So when the golden generation gets mad at millennials for not being able to get out of their own way, if all I had to do to make a million was have my wife make fucking bologna sandwiches out of the back of a truck <laughs> and sell them to farm workers in the valley. You, you could be a millionaire. Could I could be a, be a millionaire. millionaire. Be a, shit, with inflation, you'd probably be a couple, it'd be a couple million. That's ridiculous. I, it blew my mind when I heard that. So he made his first million in 51. In 1960, <laughs> <laughs> he, he, was, uh, he was told by investors to put his money into real estate, which he did. By 1960, he creates the AG Spanos Companies, and by 1977, they are the largest apartment builder in the U.S. God, those must have been some great sandwiches. Yeah, seriously. Did you make all that money? What kind of bologna are we using? <laughs> it's ridiculous. Wouldn't this it be ridiculous. is madness. Wouldn't it be hilarious if it was what just PB&J? What are you putting PB&J? in that shit? Is it like, is it like mayo? Is there Coke in the mayo? Like, How much are is... they charging? They're farm workers in San Joaquin Valley. Like, they don't have dollars. <laughs> like, they no, have these things have to they cost got penny. Yeah. No, they have pennies. I mean, legitimately, they have pennies. How are you? How do you amass a million dollars? I... If you told well, me, you know what? Good on you. This is a place. America is a place where <laughs> you can come here and, goddammit, it, if you can figure out how to make a million dollars by selling fucking bologna sandwiches out of a truck, then then God fucking bless America Good for that. Good for you. Yeah, exactly. Good for you. So we move on. 1984, uh, Alexander buys the team, and in 1993, he names his eldest son Dean president and CEO. And 1994 again, they make the AFC champion. Uh, they win the AFC championship, make the Super Bowl. But in 1994, they also uh, they signed an agreement. This is this is the beginning of the end for the San Diego Chargers way back when, and it sort of shows that Dean Spanos, ever since he became president, has been looking to move out of San Diego, because in 1994, the Chargers and the city of San Diego sign a 10-year agreement that if there is not a sellout in the Chargers stadium, the city of San Diego will purchase the rest of the remaining seats. So if you're a taxpayer in San Diego and you have no ties to football, you don't care about the business, you don't care about the game at all, but the Chargers don't sell at their stadium, your tax money is buying a seat at that stadium. Who was the city official that agreed to that? Ten years they had to do this. 94 to 04. What a fucking racket. 
So they wanted their Chargers. They wanted the team. I mean, the city wanted the team there. Yeah, know? but that's a racket. That's, that's a racket. Well, of course, it's a racket. But people will, you know, pay. I mean, you saw what the 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 city of Las Vegas was willing to oh, give God. for the Raiders to to show up there. I mean, I think that's just an early an early sort of iteration of what a city would go do and what they would give but up keep just it, to keep a team to but, have a team. Sure, but keep in mind what Las Vegas is getting themselves into. The the jobs that that job that that stadium creation is going to make compared to I mean the city was already built. There the 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 city officials probably thought to themselves, "Well, we got to keep these jobs, right? Because that's what what what, you know, our our role is. Let's keep the jobs, let's keep San Diego Chargers running. There's a lot of money running through this this organization, right?" How much could how much money could be running around? Are you going to pay t- for ten years? This the the you know the, the seats the, buying the seats. buying seats. Yeah. I agree that it's ridiculous and that it's a racket. I'm just saying you know people will do a lot of things to have the NFL. In if their you account. said we you, we'll, we'll at the end of the ten years we'll agree to to put down so much money as the San Diego Chargers organization to put down money to build a new stadium, that then that's a that's a that's an easy deal. Speaking of throwing money around for a new stadium, Dean Spanos over the next few years he becomes what's known as the missing owner. There's a lot of articles written that he was out of the limelight. And he, and he threw a guy named Mark Fabiani, which was his attorney, also a business owner, in, he became the spokesperson for the Chargers. And San Diego continually got worried that Spanos was trying to move the team because San Diego did not want to throw down the, all of the money to build a new stadium that Dean specifically wanted in downtown San Diego. He was not going to have it anywhere else. He wanted the Chargers in downtown San Diego, where it is tough to build anywhere in a downtown city that's already built up. The charges were not willing to put $100 million down to build a new stadium in San Diego. That was the last deal that was on the table, and Dean Spano said no. Instead, he opted to pay $500 million to move to Los Angeles. Hmm. So it was pretty much clear as day. If you look back at it through 94 and the 10-year agreement all the way up to now, it was pretty pretty clear that the Spanos wanted to be in L.A. And I can't fault the move from a business perspective, but you can fault the way he went about it. And he is now written as, uh, the article says it right here, Dean Spanos did it. He created a lasting legacy. He is the most hated man in San Diego ever. That is written by uh, on the San Diego Union Tribune. Is that Dan Wojcicki, who's their beat writer? Mm-hmm. He's really good. The most hated man in San Diego ever. <laughs> so there you go. That's how we came to uh, become the Los Angeles Chargers today. Again, at the beginning in 1959, they were the original Los Angeles Chargers, but... To everyone's knowledge, they are the San Diego. And let Chargers. me give, like, as somebody who's actually leaning towards becoming a Chargers fan, let's put this in perspective. As a Lions fan, I look at myself. I go, do Do I really want to be a Chargers fan now, knowing that kind of, you know, what he did to San Diego and how that went down? The truth is, every owner is like that. The Detroit Lions are in the in the in the headlines right now because apparently they took a a a, a chunk of Calvin Johnson's contract back when he retired early. And he's pissed about it. So pissed, in fact, that he's now consulting for the Oakland Raiders. He d- d- did not decide to become a, a, a consultant, a wide receivers coach for the Detroit Lions. And he and, he's, and, he, and he was outwardly sp- outwardly uh, quoted as saying, "I it is what it is, and I'm disappointed in the Detroit Lions organization that they took his money back. They took his money. He is a he is a perennial." All pro wide receiver, Hall <laughs> of Famer, guaranteed Hall of Famer. He, he is the face of your organization. So the point I'm making is, Martha Ford and the Ford came out this week and said, you know, we we have to take care of our family, and we didn't do that, right? Okay, every every organization has its black eye. I think yeah. every I think every owner puts money before before its players, money yes. before its city. Um, 
If this is the first time well, you're that's here- what you do as an owner. That's why you bought a team was to make money. And if you're butthurt over this, then you're looking. You you need to get away from football in general because at the end of the day, it's a money making organization. I I think it's the crafts of the world, the Packers organizations of the world, who are the uh, exception to the rule of the other owners who who take advantage of their of their of their. Of their fan base. Well, the Packers are a completely different beast because they're publicly owned. But, but that's you know. exactly well. That then that should be a model we should consider moving forward. But at the end of the day, I, I I'm not going to sit here and go. You know what? I can't I can't in good conscience be a San Diego Chargers fan because look at what Kroenke's done. I don't think Kroenke did anything really great for the for the city of St. Louis. No, and Louis. he left he he left St. Louis high and dry with a crappy stadium that's not being used very much the same way that that Qualcomm. Spanos did in uh, in in San Diego. The Edward Jones Dome. Now nobody's using it in yeah. San Diego. So it's area, kind of in St. Louis. And all they're left with is the Charger, uh, the Cardinals, and the Blues. It's a hard position to be in, I guess, as as potential fans. It Going is. back to that to that discussion, I get that, I get that completely. But that brings us to present day, Los Angeles Chargers, and I believe Dangles, you have a little bit of info on the uh, the players and the coaching staff, which you're going to go through next. But first, we're going to go through a little break with uh, some more Chargers charge. All right, welcome back to the Left Coasters podcast. I'm Matt D'Angelo Antonio. He's Tony Cavallo, and he's Brian Balzarini. And uh, we are talking about the Chargers today. This is our Chargers season prep uh, segment. And uh, Tony just gave us a very cool history of the Chargers that involved uh, deceit, um, maybe a little <laughs> bit of lying, a whole lot of bologna sandwiches, and um, and one man, Dean Spanos, the most hated man in San Diego Ever, but it's okay. He lives in L.A. According now. to Dan Wojcicki uh, of the San Diego Union Tribune, uh, so I'm going to talk a little bit about present-day Chargers, Los Angeles Chargers, 2017, uh, and I think a good place for us to begin is with their head coach, Anthony Lynn. Woo! Anthony Lynn hired from the Buffalo Bills in the off-season. This is his first head coaching job. Uh, it's been a long time coming for Anthony Lynn. Uh, he is a former running back out of uh, Texas Tech University. Uh, he was uh, all Southwest Conference in 1990, and and he signed. Uh, he missed his senior year uh, due to a, an injury. Ended up signing with the Giants in 1992 as an undrafted free agent. Uh, and then he was with Denver in 1993. He went to San Francisco uh, in 1995. He spent the 94 season on the IR, broke his leg. Uh. Goes to San Francisco 95, 96. Then heads uh, back to Denver for the 1997, 1998, and 1999 season. So while Terrell Davis is plowing into the end zone uh, underneath. You know, uh, John Elway and that and that awesome Broncos offense. Uh, Anthony Lynn is a backup guy. He's doing special teams. Uh, he was kind of more of a, you know, jack of all trades running back than a guy who's going to be a workhorse. And he knows the hustle of being an undrafted free agent lasting this long. Absolutely. So, yeah, he wins two Super Bowls with the Denver Broncos. He's got two, he's got two rings. So he has playoff experience a as a player. Story. That's a good, I think, thing to bring yes. into, you know, into it uh, as, a, as a head coach. Uh, he retires as a player in 2000 um, and reports. Repeated neck injuries, I guess, is what ultimately ended his career. Uh, 83 career games he, he played in total from 1992 until 2000. He went right into coaching. As, pretty much as soon as he hung his cleats up, he goes right to coaching. Uh, he was an offensive and special teams assistant.
assistant for the Broncos until 02. He left for Jacksonville to be their running backs coach from 03 to 04. Uh, then he goes to Dallas as running backs coach 0506. Cleveland 0708 as running back coach. Then he lands in New York for five years from 2009 to 2014 as a running backs coach. Mm-hmm. And then he goes to the Bills in 2015 and spends 2015 and 2016 in Buffalo, where he spent some time as a head coach at the very, very end of the season. Yeah, he went running backs after, coach, OC head coach. Yeah, pretty much. And he was in a he was an assistant head coach uh, when he was with the Jets and when he was in Buffalo, which is why he ended up taking over for Rex Ryan when they shit canned him at the end of last year. Uh, so he and and in that time, I guess you'll notice a cut. He went to a lot of different places. He worked with a lot of really good running backs, Fred Taylor in mm-hmm. Jacksonville in the prime of his career, Julius Jones in Dallas uh, when he had a couple of really oh, yeah. strong rushing seasons. Got about him. He worked. Yeah, he worked with Jamal Lewis at the very end of his career in Cleveland, uh-huh. uh, and he had a couple of decent seasons toward sort of in the, in the twilight of his career there. Uh, Thomas Jones and Ladanian Tomlinson in the twilight of their careers with New York mm-hmm. uh, with the Jets, and then of course last year. Um, I mean, you've got Shady McCoy who who is great. But he also did a great job with the backups, Carlos Williams and Mike Gillisley, who had unexpectedly good seasons. Yep. So um, this guy has worked with a lot of different backs across the spectrum, and uh, he's uh, their offense or their run offense. He's a great. This guy's a ground and pound dude. He is going to run the ball first because he thinks it. Op- he believes it opens up the passing game. He is someone who is going to. He has tried to, as I've been reading, he's tried to sort of water not water down the playbook, but simplify it a little bit because he's more focused on his play is being precise and accurate than they than trying to have to memorize a million different concepts and plays and all that sort of stuff. He out, wants, out of the Tony Cavallo playbook. He wants right to there. see execution on the field. He doesn't want you to be going through a million different. He doesn't want Philip Rivers to be reading off a million different mm-hmm. you know play concept calls at the in the huddle. He likes simple. Run the ball. That'll open up the passing game. So and he's done a good job. Uh, he's he's never uh, he's only had one really bad season in Cleveland where they were ranked uh, in 2008. The offense was ranked 26 in 03 in Jacksonville eighth in 04 in Jacksonville 16th. He had the first ranked offense uh, uh, rushing offense last year with Buffalo uh, in mm-hmm. the NFL, and he did it in 2009 with the New York Jets. Wow. He consistently finishes within the top 10, top 15 in rushing offense rank within the league. So I think we can expect to see a lot, a lot, a lot of Melvin Gordon. I was going to say, I think I'm going to draft him my fantasy uh, team. Yeah, getting the ball. He's going to be running the ball a whole lot this year. And as a former running back, it shouldn't surprise you guys that he, nah, knows, that he, he, like, that he likes to run. Uh, and so I guess You're the, selling me on him, and yeah, I'm liking it. Well, the one potential hang-up that I do see is that he's never been a play caller. He's got a little bit of experience doing that as a head coach uh, when he stepped into that position. Um, but he, he typically was not the guy, as I understand it, that was calling plays. Uh, that's not to say he doesn't know how. I'm sure he's got a very good handle on it. But he I, I, I think... If there is any hang-up, you can expect to see it may be a bit of a learning curve mm-hmm. when it just comes to figuring out the play calling, scripting situations, making adjustments, audibles, adaptations in game as they're happening in real time. I think that may be you know something we should watch out for uh, as the season is. He set to play the uh, call the plays this season. Do you know? As I understand it, I mean the offense, and we can get into the rest of the co- uh, coaching staff. The offensive coordinator is Ken Wisenhunt, who I expect yeah. will also have a very big, uh, very big role in calling plays because I love he's Kenny been. What? He's Welcome back, Ken. 
been a, a head Kenny coach Boy. before. Oh yeah, he's coached some high flying offenses. The uh, the Bolts were fourth in the AFC in points per game and passing yards last year uh, under Ken Wisenhunt. Uh, so they um, uh, you're going to rely on him, I'm sure, for some of the play calling. But I expect Anthony Lynn will be doing some of the mm-hmm. offensive play calling. Uh, so they so you've got Ken Wisenhunt on the offensive side of the ball. Um, uh, they were the only NFL team last year to feature six players with at least. 35 catches, 400-yard receiving, and two touchdowns. So they spread the ball around a lot. They like to they like to throw to a lot of different people. Uh, on the defense, uh, we can I can rifle through a few of these. John McNulty, uh, tight ends coach, is uh, another returning guy. Pat Meyer. He had is, to do something after is, uh, his Baltimore PD stint. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he does sound like a cop, or out of Southie. He sounds like a cop McNulty out of is a McNulty. The wire, baby. That's oh yeah, you're right. You're right. Of course, yeah, that's right. Uh, offensive line coach <laughs> Pat Pat Meyer. Uh, he coached alongside Anthony Lynn with the Bills, so he uh, came along with Anthony Lynn when he got this head coaching job. Uh, Alfredo Roberts, a two-time Super Bowl champion, as a tight Great end for name. the Cowboys, Great is the name. running backs coach. Uh, Nick Serrani is another uh, returning uh, guy to the Chargers. He's in the fifth season. He's their wideout coach. Quarterbacks coach is Shane. Steichen. Uh, he's on in his second season as the team's quarterback coach and working uh, 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 with uh, Philip Rivers, his sixth overall in franchise. So what I'm getting, world. oh yeah, it is Philip Rivers, but what I'm getting is the new head coach, but a lot of these people on the coordinator sides and like the positional coaches are holdovers. Oh yeah, absolutely. So that's now, nice. There's, I think, four guys who are coming back who have already been part of the Chargers coaching staff, so they have a feel for the franchise already. And how that's very atypical. Um, it is, yeah. And usually these guys come in and they bring all their own people yep. and their whole, you know, sort of staff. Um, but he's kept a few guys on, not only from the Chargers, but also from who, uh, people who coached with him uh, uh, in Buffalo. Cool. I, I, I would, I would venture a guess that Philip Rivers had some say into that, and Philip, Philip vouched for a handful of those offensive coaches and said, "We did things right. Let's keep them." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And on the defensive side of the ball, we here we go. Welcome Gus. Bradley, yeah, buddy. Former Jacksonville Jaguars head coach, former Seattle Seahawks defensive coordinator, all around really great guy. <laughs> Welcome to Los Angeles. I spent some time with Gus uh, in sort of a media a reporter coach uh, relationship when I was in Jacksonville when he in his first year there, and you could not meet a nicer guy. I know how Daniels um, is rooting for. Him. I do love Gus, um, but he's got a challenge ahead of the, him because he's switching the Chargers defense from a three-four to a four-three. Mm. So this will be an interesting transition for them. He's got some great talent on that defense to work with. Guys like Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa and uh, Casey Hayward, who led uh, the league in interceptions last year. And I'll get to them later because they're some of the cornerstone players that I'll want to talk about on the defense. But um, but he's got, so he's got the uh, he's got the uh, the reins on the defensive side. Defensive backs coach is Ron Milas. Defensive <laughs> line coach is Giff Smith. He's in his first season with the Chargers. Good old Giff. Uh, Richards. <laughs> so we'll see what happens on defense. Yeah, they, uh, they got a job. To and do. then our special teams coordinator and assistant head coach is George Stewart, who worked with Anthony Lynn as a player when he was in San Francisco in 1995 and 1996. So these guys have some history. Uh, Stewart, he played for Lou Holt at Arkansas and then coached for him and later on worked for Chuck Knoll in Pittsburgh um, and Bill Walsh in San Francisco and Dan Reeves in Atlanta. So he's worked under some really, really successful head coaches uh, there. So that brings us to our cornerstone players. And uh, I think... Before before you move on, I want to just want to say we got three... With Anthony Lynn, you got two former head coaches under him in Wisenhunt and Gus Bradley. Looks to be a lot of pedigree on there. Granted, they did not have winning seasons on their teams, but there's they've been in the in the gutter before. They've they've know how to do these fights. 
Yes. And they're behind Anthony Lynn helping him out. I like that. And there's and there's playoff experience there, yeah. I think. There's definitely there's definitely postseason experience, uh, which the team itself is greatly lacking in. There yes. are very few players on the roster with even some postseason experience. So, um, so yeah, I mean, any other thoughts on the coaching staff, Bri? I'm really just happy to have uh, experienced coordinators who, for example, are going to be able to work with the pieces that they have and then bring guys along. And we'll get into the draft later on, but there's going to be some really important pieces coming into this into this locker room that they're going to have to get these guys rolling because the Chargers, are they want to win now, as most teams do, but they're in a division that is probably the hardest division in the, in, yeah, in, in, in the NFL. Sure. So, so I'm really excited that we've got coaches that can coach players, get guys ready. Gus Bradley was a very good uh, uh, coordinator for the Seattle Seahawks in procuring talent, getting the best out of guys not so much in De- in Jacksonville uh, but he probably wasn't doing that as much as a head coach as he was as a coordinator I so mean, he I- more or less created the Legion of Boom Exactly. When you think about it. So I'm I'm excited that they've got the right coaches who are going to bring guys in, get them situated, and let's get this these Chargers into winning, and let's not make the same mistakes another LA organization did last year, and not be able to 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 raise their talent level with their with their new players. And well, also, I love a four three. Oh yeah. I'm oh yeah. Such, it's I've Joey been... Bosa is going to be unbelievable in a four three. So yeah. let's hit the corners and Melvin players. and Nagin. We're going to get to them uh, because there's going. Yeah, that's going to help out their defense. I think a lot. It's just I. I was only uh, cautious about it because it's 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 a new head coach and it's yep. untested. We oh, just for don't, sure. We just don't know. But they lost Manti Teo. They did. <laughs> they lost Manti Teo. Followed his girlfriend in New Orleans. Uh, yeah, to the middle of nowhere. So um, corner st- <laughs> cor- uh, that's going to need uh, to to do these things that we're talking about. It's going to require stellar play from their cornerstone players. The key guys on the roster who are going to in the end be the difference between whether the Chargers chalk up a W or an L each Sunday. So let's start with the obvious. Philip Rivers. Whew. He is the cornerstone of the franchise. He's entering his 14th season in the NFL. The side-throwing gunslinger had an excellent season last year. <laughs> he uh, was uh, His 4,386 yards passing were good for fifth in the NFL. His 33 touchdowns were fourth in the league. But as has been the case throughout most of his career, he throws a lot of interceptions. 21 of them, to be specific, last season. He was also sacked 36 times last season. Cannot spend that much time on your rear end. Uh, regardless, he is the guy on this team. He is the person who's going to lead them to a win or end up spelling their defeat. Um, and he holds pretty much every franchise passing record that matters. Yards, attempts, completions, touchdowns probably interceptions too. Um, and so that'll bring us to who I expect to be the star, or the other star of the offense this year under this ground and pound uh, mentality that Anthony Lynn is going to be bringing into it. Uh, Melvin Gordon. Yeah, man. The, uh, in his third year in the NFL, he comes off a stellar sophomore campaign and he figures to be the centerpiece of Anthony Lynn's offense. Uh, he came up just three yards short of a thousand yards last year. He got 997 yards on the ground. The poor guy. That's probably, that would eat at me if I were a running back. Mm-hmm. That I missed out that on I, a bonus that too. I didn't eclipse that thousand For yard sure, and he probably missed out on a bonus very true uh, he had 997 yards and 254 carries that was good for 13th in the league so he's already got a really nice baseline to start mm-hmm. with and improve on he had 10 rushing touchdowns last year uh, averaged just under four yards a carry so I expect him to get the ball a lot yeah especially sure. if he's healthy uh, so that brings us to uh, the guy who's going to be clearing the way for him Russell Okun the biggest offseason signing for the Chargers 
Chargers. Uh, he won a Super Bowl uh, with the uh, Denver Broncos. He won a Super Bowl with the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, he comes in on a multi-year, multi-million dollar, I think it's somewhere in the $50 million uh, uh, range. Uh, he comes in uh, and um, shores up that offensive line. He's going to be the anchor uh, that he needs. Uh, he's going to add in there with uh, Max Turk and Joe Barksdale, uh, who are already solid offensive linemen, um, hopefully, that will help keep Philip Rivers uh, from being on his rear end so often. And Okung also adds playoff experience to a mm-hmm. roster that pretty much doesn't have any. Uh, and then our honorable, <laughs> my honorable mention for on the offensive side would be Keenan Allen uh, uh, yeah. because he's the most explosive player uh, when he's healthy. He is the most, one of the most uh, um, athletic and impressive wide receivers in the NFL. When he's healthy, when he's healthy, last year he caught six passes in the opener for 63 yards before he tore his ACL and his season was over. Uh, the year before that, he played eight games before he injured himself and his season was over. Um, so his rookie campaign remains his best one. It was 2013, 71 passes, 1,046 yards, eight touchdowns. He's no doubt going to be Phil Rivers' number one target if, if he stays healthy. healthy. Yeah. Um, so that's on the offensive side. Now you'll notice I didn't mention Antonio Gates. Um, he's obviously there as well. I think as another probable probably honorable mention he's just been he's been good the last few years he's been reliable mm-hmm. and i think and that's great to have at the tight end position you love to have that at the tight end position but he's also getting up there i think this is his 15th season so he's also really getting up there yeah so uh that's on the offensive side of the ball any thoughts before i move to the defense Nah, antonio gates though grizzled veteran i'm gonna enjoy seeing what should be his last year in san diego and fuck, you we're going to get through it in Los Angeles. You think he's going to retire after this year? I mean, I, uh, I expected him to retire at the end of last year. I expected him to stay in San Diego, mm. but he wants to keep playing. So if they'll have him, they'll have him. But All right, well, uh, and then real quickly, let's rifle through the defense here. i got three guys I want to highlight, and we've already mentioned all, three, all of their names today. Joey Bosa is the first one. He beast. is uh, coming Absolute into his beast. second season out of Ohio State uh, after a solid rookie campaign. He had 10 and a half sacks last year. That's good for top 15 in he the NFL. He missed training camp. Yeah. And he missed training camp. He missed training camp. And he still notched 10 and a half sacks. Uh, 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 he needs to step up his production, though. I think Gus Bradley's going to be expecting more from him than 41 tackles, which is all he got last year. Yeah. Uh, he needs to He needs to be involved on the defensive side in bringing the ball carrier down he more often. He needs to be a run there's, stopper. There's no way around it. He has to be a run stopper because he's going to be the main guy in this 4-3. Well, what's nice about that is he's not going to be asked to be as much of a run stopper that he would be in a 3-4. They're going to have the, the, the center of the line and the— Cleaning up the, the less holes. double teams exactly. So so I think he's going to be actually better off in a four three because he's just going to have to pass rush and 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 essentially you know you know. Here's, well, he's here's gonna the blow thing, up though. the side of the he's, offensive line. Well, can, he's gonna he's gonna just set the edge. Yeah. You can you can have him either in a, in a linebacker position or I think in, a, in an edge rushing position because they can alternate him and the next guy on my list, Melvin Ingram. He's also an outside rusher. They like to move him into that Pure defensive speed. end slot, that nose tackle slot, and have him just friggin' rifle through. He can he can burn you up on the edges if you're not careful as an offensive lineman. Uh, and I've been talking about this kid pretty much since our first episode, I think him. I mentioned him. You he's absolutely great. Love him. He's big, he's strong, he's fast, he's agile, 6'2", 247, and he's only 28 years old. Yep. He's just going to get better. He had 60 tackles last year, four forced fumbles, so I look for him to continue to be a disruptive force on the football uh, and on the field as they transition to this 4-3 look. And then my third and final uh, final name on the defense is a guy, Tony, you should be very mm. familiar with, uh, someone I know you're very upset that Green Bay ever let get away from it. That'd be Casey Hayward, who yep. anchors the uh, Chargers I mean, secondary. It's not like he did a lot last year. No, he only had seven interceptions and mm-hmm. led the NFL mm-hmm. um, and was a pro bowler. Uh, uh, for it's the not s- like we need a defense 
defensive back help in the playoffs or anything. No, no, it wasn't like you guys were um were, uh, were like Darius Gunter. It wasn't that, like there was they were on a corner in downtown Green Bay asking people to sign up with their name and phone number if you'd like to be a cornerback for the Green Bay Packers. But yes, Casey Hayward. Casey Hayward. Um, he he anchors uh, what is an otherwise lackluster secondary uh, for the Chargers. Can you imagine if Eric Weddle was still in say, in uh, on the Chargers team? They got a guy with great hair though. What's his, I think it's Verrett. It's Jason Verrett, He's and he got- is a good. He is a very yeah. good. Uh, 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 secondary player as well. Uh, but uh, Casey Hayward's the anchor. Like I said, seven interceptions last year. He's a ball hawk. Um, he's a, a, a great in man coverage. Um, and I expect to see him continue to be somewhere near the top of the interceptions list this year. Quickly about Melvin Ingram. Uh, he's got a, he's in his contract year. Like I said, they, yep. they, they franchise tag him. So he, you could see a lot of production out of him trying to get that Absolutely. latest and greatest contract. contract. This is a ripe season for him to have a huge year and to really break out as one of the premier defenders. Uh, much like the season, I would say Vic Beasley Jr. on the Atlanta Falcons had last mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. So these uh, are the guys that are leading the way. Yes, indeed. These are the Chargers of today, and leading uh, the charge, leading the charge, leading the bolts onto the field, if you will. And so I think that sets us up to look ahead to the Chargers of the future. Very and, true. Uh, and and we're going to kick it over to uh, the, the 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 ballerina over here. But first. Oh, charge. Chargers charge. Is that what it is? Chargers charge? Charge, chargers Super charge? charge. Super charge. We'll get it. We'll, we'll get, get it. there. It's we'll all new. It. It's new. And welcome back, Left Coasters. Thank you, Dangles, for giving us the coaching staff and the Happy players. Wonderful that was, job. That was fun. That was, that was fun. I hope I didn't ramble on too long. But no, I, got, I, got really, I got really fascinated when I was looking into this. Absolutely. And now we turn, as Dangles said, to the Chargers of the future. And who are we going to go to other than the man who beat out Mel Kuyper? Todd McShay, Charlie Casserly, Daniel Jeremiah, Mike Mayock. He beat every single one of them out with his mocked first-round draft. It's the ballerina, Brian Balzarini. Brian, first off, congratulations, buddy, Thank on a you. great I draft. I appreciate that very much. I'm you blushing. Killed it. I'm you blushing. killed it. Yeah, man. I mean, I'm happy. I'm, I'm excited. I have to say that uh, as most uh, as most listeners will probably know, the predicting the first round is is an absolute crapshoot with trades and everything and moving up, uh, especially this year with the quarterbacks with oh, Patrick yeah. Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. <laughs> it kind of threw me for a loop. I, I, I had those, both those teams picking quarterbacks just reversed. Um, but I'm I man, I'm, I'm happy. I think we do a lot of work, uh, the three of us, and I think it paid off in the draft. You killed it. It, it totally did. Yeah. No, congratulations to you by the way for blowing all of the actual paid experts out of the water with, with the number of right picks that you made so Makes now wonder now you i know right now right. you're going to break down the chargers draft class who we got and what they're going to do for the team not only this year but in years of the future yes sir i, I have to say that uh, i paid particular attention to the los angeles chargers this year uh not just because they were moving here but they 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 are in a very difficult difficult division yeah. The AFC West is by far one of the, if not the most difficult division in the uh, NFL, and the and the Chargers had an interesting year last year. And obviously, as all the the notable uh, uh, awesome um, backwork that we learned from the roster with Dangles, um, they had some holes and they needed to f- fix. And one of them had to be making sure Philip Rivers was standing upright and that Philip Rivers was going to have weapons because there was talk that 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 the Los Angeles Chargers were going to get a a quarterback of the future. Mm. Philip Rivers has maybe got two or three years left in the tank, and uh, and it would have been perfect for them to pick up a new, shiny 
quarterback for the city of Los Angeles, much like the the Rams did last year. But no, they they doubled down and said, "We got you, Phil. We're we're going to help you out." And with the first overall pick, they selected Mike Williams, wide receiver out of Clemson, who is uh, an incredible, incredible uh, deep threat. He's a possession receiver. He's got speed. He runs crisp routes. Um, and and he and he's just he 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 can he can jump and and grab the ball at the point of, of of its height over any DB and he is going to be if Keenan Allen has any issues with his injury you're going to watch Mike Gilliam, Mike Williams come straight a, into the uh into the lineup as the even hero if he doesn't I think he's still going to get targets I, you know, I they he, have a lot of guys on that on that wide receiving core you know Travis Benjamin you can and, only and double Dontrell so many Inman. people right well that's just exactly it and these are all these are all really fast dudes they've got in their wide receiving core man. and and the great thing about Williams is that he plays hard in the red zone he's going to be a touchdown machine and that's a scary thought with with philip rivers who over the last 10 years has been playing with a piecemeal wide receiver core guys come in guys come out he makes big names out of people vincent jackson he 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 works guys in there and he makes he makes paychecks for these guys so i'm excited that mike williams is coming in and going to throw some relief but most importantly and i think this is going to be the crux of the of the of the future for the san diego chargers god damn it los angeles chargers we'll do it guys we'll get there we will do it in round two they went with forrest lamp arguably the best lineman interior lineman in the draft and there's no one to argue that it's the best name I in the draft. i love lamp and there's a tr- and, and there's a real chance that he develops into the best lineman in this draft uh and they have to count this just legitimately as a huge victory for philip rivers and the and the offense because not only is he going to come in be a plug and play guard there's potential he could move to the tackle position so he's going to be that swing position in which he comes in and and provides support wherever they need it their run game is going to be be better and and let, let's and i want to point to uh to one specific example for our viewers uh for our listeners excuse me that Forrest Lamp, when he played Alabama last year, manhandled that defensive line. That's what got scouts huge, huge, huge props. Not an easy defensive line to manhandle, especially if you're not for a big guy, college football. Exactly, <laughs> especially especially coming out of Western Kentucky. You're not talking about the cream of the crop in terms of talent, or the biggest place to go to school where people, the NFL scouts, are gonna see you. Absolutely, and so for for Melvin Gordon and Philip Rivers, you're talking about a a a huge victory uh and then they double down and get another guard in round three dan feeney out of indiana and uh he looks i mean he's an incredibly well put together offensive lineman um and and easily could have gone in round two these guys dropped mind you because they're in they're not in a position of need they're in a position in which guards are 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 quite quite a undervalued position but when you get a good one and you get a good unit my god you can you can change your team overnight with with round two round three and round four picks so just looking at those three picks uh to to just round out their draft class they get three starters in the first three rounds that is a huge haul for those for the los angeles chargers and they and they by all accounts have gotten an a plus a minus uh in their draft grades by most Speedy critics it's a monster six four three eleven my god huge huge and then they've got guys in round four five six and seven who are going to be swing players you got rayshon jenkins for safety out of miami desmond king out of iowa who safety who i loved out of iowa this guy could 
could have gone higher, but had concerns about his his overall size. So you're looking at guys who are going to come in, work into special teams, come in and, and potentially be starters down the line. I think I think Anthony Lynn and and the front office for the Los Angeles Chargers should be very happy with themselves, and it's a good sign for the future for the for the Los Angeles uh, uh, Chargers because they again are going to have to compete with some teams who who improved a lot in this offseason through the draft and through free agencies. By all accounts, again, the Los Angeles Chargers had the best draft of the AFC West, so let's make that mention. But right behind them are the likes of the Oakland Raiders, who drafted some serious secondary guys, who, who uh, the the uh, Kansas Obi City Melvin Chiefs. Melvin phone move, my favorite guy. You loved that guy, and he's and he couldn't have gone to a better team. Yeah. And this is a, a safety out of, U, out of UConn Yukon. that went to Jack Del Rio and the Oakland Raiders. There's no better uh, team that that guy should have gone to in terms of pure athletic but also through a coaching staff that's going to make him a, a, a maximize his skill set. But then you look to the Kansas City Chiefs, who with Andy Reid got their quarterback of the future, but then got second and third round guys who are going to be starters at defensive end, respectively. Um, and and then you look at uh, look at what the uh, um, the Denver Broncos did improving their offensive line because we know that this is a division with the likes of of, of Houston out of Kansas City, uh, Bosa out of the out of the Chargers, and then and then Khalil Mack out of out of Oakland. So there are teams that know the, how how to win in their division. That's that is a, a heck of a division. And then, yeah, Von Miller too. That's scary. That's a scary division that to protect your quarterback. And and the Chargers did exactly that. They said we're, in order to win now, we need guys who are going to protect Philip Rivers and. Per- promote the run game, which Anthony Lynn is great at. So I look at this division and I'm thinking to myself, you know what? The Chargers, and I said to this to you the other day, it's very possible the Chargers could be the best team in this division. And, and that's a scary, it's a scary notion and yeah. it's and it's a far notion, but look at what they were last year. They were losing close games last year to the likes of the Kansas City Chiefs and the Oakland Raiders. They challenge the Texans if they're in the AFC South. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like they're not very they are a good team at the bottom of a very good, good division. division. And yeah. I think I think but I think you're right. I think depending on how things shake out, how the tree shakes out when we get to the start of the season. They very well could find themselves in first or second place after eight games. Mike, I mean, Tony, you shake your head, but you know, um, wow, I just said that with like a wicked Baltimore yeah, accent. Yeah. <laughs> but Mike no. Williams, but Mike Williams comes in right away at the wide receiver position and and gives, uh, uh, you know, the Philip Rivers a number one receiver at, at the two position assuming yeah keenan can't play yeah that's and 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 the kansas city chiefs which could have used a wide receiver over that patrick mahomes and trading up and giving away another first round pick last year could have used the likes of a mike williams all i'm saying is if they fly out of the gate you know we could be looking at a team i'm not saying they're going to win the super bowl tone i'm just saying well we we could see we could i'm I'm just saying that we could see them in a position to be looking at a postseason run at some point this season, Melvin Gordon, Philip Rivers, Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, Antonio Gates with an with a revamped offensive that's line. Scary. If they hit their potential and they're not and they're not injury prone, that's that's a team to really contend scary. with. So then, in that case, before we move on, we're gonna put our money where our mouth is, and after this Chargers charge, we're gonna break down the 2017 schedule. So if Let's you do guys it. are ready, we're gonna go game yeah. by game. That sounds fun. And do win loss and see where we are at the end of the season. But sure. Brian, that was awesome. Thank you for yeah, breaking down. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, that was for letting Brian. me go. Really, um, really great job. That was excellent. And at some point during this season, if we get if we get enough listeners, we should give out a lamp jersey. 
I would I would love to give a lamp jersey because I love lamp. I do. I love lamp as I think, well. I'd love that's to our get a first lamp promotional jersey. Giveaway. I have to give you some credit though. If I recall Maybe correctly, before ju- the draft, you were you were all about that name. Lamp was a great name. I think I'm pretty sure if we go back to our draft episode, we'll we'll hear Tony singing uh, Lamp's praises. Yes, maybe, absolutely. Maybe maybe a jersey's a little highbrow. Maybe we start maybe we start with like a screen printed T-shirt with, a his num- with his number on the back. A yeah, shirzy? you know what I you know what I'm on those, the ones I'm talking about. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, Brian. Thank you, Dangles, for your work on the uh, uh, the roster. Well, thank you for your staff. work on the history, Tom. Now we're that was go, fun. Now we're going to go to the real deal, guys. We're going to make predictions for the season. But first, Chargers, charge. Chargers, charge. And again, my name is Tony Cavallo. I'm flanked by Matthew D'Angelo, Antonio Bryan, the ballerina draft master, Balzarini. And we are Ooh. here. We have just broken down the 2017 San Diego Chargers from 1959 all the way to the present. And now we are at the 2017 season. And it is way too early to do this, guys, but we're going to jump in and do it anyway. We're going to have a master August version of this breakdown of the season preview and all that stuff. But right now, we're going to go through the schedule for the Los Angeles Chargers. I think I may have cheated and said San Diego in there. But we're going to break down and do the we'll Los Angeles Chargers. It would be Chargers. the first time in this episode. I know. Do the Los Angeles Chargers schedule game by game and see where we stand at the end of it. So, guys, don't hesitate too much. Right off the bat, what do you think is going to happen week one, Monday night football. They are at the Denver Broncos. Win or loss? Win. Win. Loss. You guys, are t- the Denver Broncos have one of the best defenses in the NFL. Excuse me, are you, you writing down win loss? A football game if you don't score points. I'm. Uh, well, you're doing all three of us. Three oh, of us. okay, don't gotcha, worry. cool. All right, so week two. Uh, that was at Denver. Week two is their home opener in that tiny little stadium against the Ryan Tannehill-led Miami Dolphins. Win. Miami Dolphins, Miami, wild card Miami team. Miami Dolphins, that's a win, too. I think they beat Miami. I don't think Miami's as good as they were last year. You think year. Trevor Simeon or Paxton Lynch is going to torch the San Diego no, Chargers? No, I think that defense in Denver is going to win. Fucking Los Angeles Chargers. That defense in Denver is going to win. Uh, week three, they take... Uh, 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 did they end up winning the division? I can't remember. But they take. They have week three home against the Kansas City Chiefs. I, I think they lose that game. I'm going to go win. I'm going loss. Brian has them at 3-0. and <laughs> All right, week four. They take uh, at home again. This is the third game in a home stretch against the Philadelphia Eagles. Carson wins. Brian. Win. Fast uh, start, man. I, I think, think it's going to be a fast start. I think they're going uh, to win that game. I, I really like game. Philly this year. I have them losing that game. Uh, week five, they're at Eli Manning and the New York Giants. Loss. Uh, I'm going to say loss on that, too, I, yeah. I hate the Giants. You guys know they beat the Giants. Uh, week six, they are at the division winner, Oakland Raiders. Loss. Uh, they lose that game for sure. Absolutely. Uh, week seven, they ho- this is the hardest stretch of their schedule. They they had at New York Giants, who were a playoff team last year, at Oakland. Now they're home against Denver. Mm, I think that I think I think Denver gets the gets the best of them in the second time around. I'm going to go loss for that game. I'm going to go win because I don't think the Denver Broncos are going to have they're going to have a, de- a better defense, but it's not it's without Philip uh, without uh, Wade Phillips, it's going to be a, a, a terrible. I have outcome. them at a loss, and again, the end of this four game stretch right before the bye, they are at New England. Yeah, that's oh, a loss, a huge loss. Yeah, so that's a tough four game stretch at the Giants, at Oakland, home to Denver, at New England. That's a tough four game stretch, but then the bye is Week Nine. Uh, right now, di- we'll, we'll do the records at the end. Week Ten, they come out of the bye and they are at. Gus Bradley's return game, Jacksonville Jaguars. Oh, boy, he gets to go back to the bank for Gus. They're going to win that game. I got to win, too. Loss. You have what? them losing to Jacksonville. Okay, yeah. after the bye, they lose to Jacksonville. What, is Leonard Fournette running for 200 yards? <laughs> week. <laughs> it's an improved defense, week, man. It week is, 11, true. it's the Anthony Lynn return game as they are hosting oh, the Buffalo Bills. Win. Win. 
yeah, I think Buffalo stinks. Uh, week 12, this is, this is going to be a fun game for all of us in California to watch because they are playing on Thanksgiving, and they are at the Dallas Cowboys for this Thanksgiving Day game. Loss. Oh, boy. Um, I think they're going to eke out a win. Ooh, they beat Give Dallas in Thanksgiving. Whew. I mean, I already I may they have already beat Dallas pl- in Dallas on Thanksgiving. I'm calling it now. I may have already placed a bet on it. It's okay. Uh, week 13, they host the Cleveland Browns. Win, win. Yeah, that's a win. Week 14, they host the Washington Redskins. They win, win that game. I think so too. I don't like Washington this year. I want to point out the San Diego Chargers last year when they you, were in San Diego. Okay, okay. They, when they okay, were in San Diego, okay, okay. had a uh, road uh, record of two and six. That's not good. They're not. They're <laughs> not, not a. Good. They're not a road team. <laughs> no, so that's. Not. I'm justifying my choices. I Giants and were, Jacksonville. I think they were three and five at home. They were a yeah. terrible team last year. Yeah, but they they had a better track record at home. All right, week fifteen. Uh, they week fifteen. They are at the Kansas City Chiefs playing on a Saturday night. Lost. They lose that game. Damn, I think so as well. Week sixteen. They are at the who knows led New York Jets. Win. Uh, they win that game. Can I make a prediction here? Nobody's stopping you. The this mic's is, in front of your face. This is a, a newly coached Jets team at this point in the year. Oh, without a doubt. I still say we. They don't win. even have a quarterback. Uh, week seventeen, they end the the season in a divisional game, hosting the division leader, uh, def- defending division champion Oakland, Oakland Raiders. Uh, at home, I think they win this one. I think they. I think at home they get a win at the end of the season. I got them beating Oakland or losing to Oakland early in the season. Uh, early in the season, which would be week six, we all have them losing to o- at Oakland. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a W. They can they can go Jesus, think, they can go they can go one and one. Yeah, they can go one and one. High hopes. All right, hold on. Talk amongst yourselves while I do the math here. Uh, I actually, I actually think the the Los Angeles Chargers are gonna have a very good record because I also think Kansas City missed a huge boat. I understand that Andy Reid makes makes quarterbacks into you know, he's a quarterback whisperer. You know, around yes. the league. Yes. I think they missed a huge opportunity in improving their team, and I think they're gonna take a step back when they selected Patrick Mahomes because they. Who they, would you have drafted at that spot anyway? Uh, if they staff? traded up to ten, uh, if they were like, I would have picked up a, I would have picked up a, a, a DB. I would have picked up Malik Hooker or something. I would have even picked up, I would have even picked up a wide receiver. You know, Ross, who went to the chart, who went to the. Uh, um, They've got such a good secondary though with Eric Berry and Marcus Peters. And, but that's and, I mean, but but know. but think of but like take the model of the Patriots or the or the Dallas Cowboys or, or or even the Green Bay Packers pick where where you know you can do well with numbers you can do well with positions uh, in that need numbers that you could next man up kind of mentality get another receiver I mean hell if you're the Kansas City Chiefs draft another like draft another tackle I mean just to play devil's advocate I think I, th- I think they're not a quarterback Chiefs, away. This was the Chiefs saying what we've all been thinking for a long time, sure. which is that Alex Smith is just not – he's not good enough to be a successful starter for a franchise for a long period of time anymore. Maybe he was at one point. But he's throwing – you saw them offensively last year. His lines would be like 20 for 32 for 173 sure. yards but the question and is, no touchdowns. Sure, and I understand that, but the question is – the Kansas City Chiefs, who went to the AFC Championship game, correct? Yes. Could get back into that scenario again. And are you going to rely on Patrick Wait, Mahomes no, they out didn't of go Texas to the Tech? AFC Championship no, they game. They lost in the divisional game. 18-15. Excuse me. Excuse me. But they they could have easily gone into that game. Could have beat Pittsburgh. Yeah, if they scored one touchdown. 
But is that is, is that Alex Smith? Is that Alex Smith? That was Alex Smith in that game. Hundred percent, that was Alex Smith in that game. Are, are you? Do you think Patrick Mahomes? Just, is just playing devil. I'm, I'm just no. I, I, it's a, it's I agree. It's I, honest. I was, it's honest. I was blown away when they took Mahomes as well. But I, I, I think that's the franchise saying what we've all been thinking about Alex Smith. For I a think long that's time. why the Chargers. I think I think that's why the Chargers take a little leap forward, and and if Kansas City takes a step back. Denver continues to take you, a step back. You got those records, has, Tone? It has <laughs> proved so. You think they take a leap forward because you had them four and two in the division. Dangles had them two and four in the division. I I didn't even mean to do this. I had them zero and six in the division. Wow! Um, so I have the worst record for them, and it's still a much improved record from last year. I have them going seven and nine. Okay. Oh God, what do I have them going? Both of you have the San Diego Super. Damn it! Damn it! The Los Angeles Chargers going ten and six. I believe okay, that. I not, believe okay, that. Okay, I thought, I you, I thought you were going to tell me like... 13 and 3. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I thought or, I, 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 thought I was like going to have to backtrack. And, four, and I'm like, what? <laughs> I take that no, whole back. That, that, that is, I, I agree, that is probably a more best case scenario outcome than it, Very is, much so. than it is realistic. But I want to be optimistic about this. I think there's plenty of reason to be optimistic about this Chargers team. And I feel good, I feel good about What's 10 and 6. What's the worst that they could do in your mind? Uh, the worst that they, they could do? They were 5 and 11 last year. 3 and 13. Worst they could do, I think, is. I think they could be is, really. I think first off, would if, be would be that would be second or third pick. I Sorry. think five and eleven or six and ten. I'm I think thinking that's six probably, and ten. I think six and ten is probably the that that's that was my gut. You're relying a lot on a very old quarterback, a rookie wide receiver, an injury prone wide receiver, a very old tight end, and a guy who had over the the bad number of uh, carries as a running back last year. That is what we have. The four are 2017 Los Angeles Chargers. I got it right on the final one. And again, TJ, I know you texted me this week. I am excited. I really need a Sunday football. And it's getting closer and closer. We're almost there. It is getting closer and closer. Every day. And now we got two teams to watch. It's going to be good. Yes, we do. We got a new TV, bigger screen for the games this year. Can't wait. (laughs) And it is the Chargers versus the Rams, the Left Coasters podcast. We did the Chargers on this one. We'll be doing the Rams in a little bit. And now we get to do we say Chargers charge or do we ram it at the end of this? I think we, we got to come up with something on our know. own. Yeah, I think. we will have to come we up do. with uh, with something on we're our gonna own. We're going to be coming up. Speaking of coming up with stuff on our own, we're going to be coming up with a lot of new stuff. Those left coasters fans out there, you get ready. We got we're some surprises, be, and we're going to be. I mean, I think we can officially say it now. We're going to be going to training camp. Yes, yeah, we are. We're gonna we're gonna go to training camp. Uh, we're looking forward to checking out how that goes on and uh, and seeing the field and getting close up with the players. You know, talking really to need, some fans, talk to some fans, interview some um, fans for the podcast. Yeah, we'll be out there. We'd love to see you if you're planning on heading out to uh, any of these training camps over the summer. Uh, summer, wait. it'll be fun. Looking forward to our Rams preview. Talking about yep. that new thing. I actually think we might have someone coming on who knows Sean McVay, the head coach Perfect. personally, a friend of mine who works in uh, Washington D.C. And I have a strong feeling our records for the 2017 Rams are going to be a lot lower. Probably so. <laughs> Probably so. And not to mention, we are also going to have an episode in the future in which we actually talk to all of our fans, talk to all of our, oh, yeah. our supporters, in which we have a a nice family of the Left Coasters episode. Yeah, so we got a lot to look forward to this season on the Left Coasters podcast. With some podcast. big unveils. I have some huge unveils. We have a lot of cool stuff coming down huge, the pipe. Syracuse, um, huge, Very, very excited. We've been working really, really hard. Uh, I know Brian's been working really, really hard on some stuff, and Tony and I have been, you know, working hard where we can. So, um, yeah. I'm not really working too hard but that well, wraps it up this will be, be fun this will be fun for the 2017 san diego chargers for the le- fuck i did it again for the 2017 los angeles chargers and the left coasters podcast my name is tony cavallo 
Brian the Ballerina Balzerini, Matt D'Angelo Antonio. And make sure to check us out at the Left Coasters podcast on Instagram as well as the Left Coasters at Facebook. And please, if you have any emails, we are here. We want to listen. We are interested in what you have to say. And we are at the Left Coasters podcast at gmail.com. If you listen to us uh, uh, through Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from, especially if it's on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review. Uh, it'll help other people get in touch with the show and learn more about the show. And uh, it'll help us get a little bit more visibility in the uh, podcasting community, which is we love to do. Because I'm pretty sure while there are a lot of football podcasts out there, I'm pretty sure we're the only one that does uh, look at looks at both the Chargers and the Rams. All right, we're the best football podcast on this side of the Mississippi. And as, as always, we proved it in the draft. Charge. Charge. Hi, this is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dean Archipotis, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, yeah, right? And, yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? <laughs> the Bigfoot thing is people have seen these, and, and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Tripotis. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network.